Phil Johnson is the founder and CEO of Master of Business Leadership, MBL. It's a program where he has been helping executives as a leadership coach for over 20 years. In this episode, we talk about the power of emotional intelligence and how it has a greater ROI in generating revenue than IQ. We talk about how to outcare your competition by developing your emotional intelligence. We even get into topics like energy physics and the trust economy, all of which we tie back to how salespeople and sales leaders can master these areas as a way to drive massive growth. Bill is literally one of the wisest people I've ever met. You're going to want to play back a lot of the things that he says because what he talks about is not only deep, but extremely transformative. Now go put your thinking cap on because you're going to need it. Okay, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. For those that are listening and watching, uh, we have a really good episode here planned out for you. I think you're going to learn a lot from our guest. We're going to talk about things like IQ versus EQ, the benefits of a higher EQ, things like biological sources of resistance to change and innovation, how to increase one's EQ. We're going to even get into energy physics and our amygdala. I said that wrong, but you know what I meant. And specialized brain cells. So get your thinking cap on, get your notes, get ready for a very transformative experience with our guest, Phil Johnson. Phil, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks, Derek. Great. Well, I'm going to read a quote from you, a couple of quotes, actually, they're short, from our planning session that I think our audience can appreciate. And then I'm going to ask you to unpack the meaning behind these quotes um, for, for the audience. He doesn't know what the quotes are going to be yet, guys. So let's see how he handles it. Uh, first quote of two, we're facing a tsunami of accelerating change with a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. And if we don't change our trajectory dramatically through the development of emotional intelligence, we're going to find it very difficult to survive the century as a species. Second quote, the development of emotional intelligence enables you to outcare your competition. Where do you go with when I combine those two quotes? Um, we're going to have a great discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I hope so. Lots, lots to chat about. Good. Well, uh, explain those. Unpack what you mean by the tsunami of accelerating change and outcaring your competition <clears throat> and this very very old brain that needs to catch up? Yeah, um, great questions. Um, so some scientists estimate in this century we could experience the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change. Mm. This has never, ever happened before. We're, uh, change is increasing at an exponential rate, and we have a brain that doesn't like change, mm. period whether it's positive change or negative change, doesn't like change. So whenever we change, whenever we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone, it automatically triggers the amygdala. It automatically it triggers the release of a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol. And that causes uh, the executive center of our brain to shut off. And we go, some people lash out, some people run away, some people freeze like a deer in a headlight. Psychologists mm -hmm. refer to it as a as an amygdala hijack. I think I'm a freezer type. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so when we do that in conflict situations, often people die. When we do it in business or personal situations, relationships die, we burn trust. So as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister, enabling us to feel the fear and anxiety that change always triggers in us and be able to move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve as opposed to allowing that fear to keep us trapped in our comfort zones. Mm -hmm. Um does that answer your first question? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Now, the outcare piece, how does having a more mm. developed EQ help a sales organization, since that's predominantly our audience, um, how does that help them outcare their competition? Another great question. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, be again, because we've evolved over hundreds of millions of years as a species, We've had to develop the ability to sense whether somebody's trying to help us or or eat us. Mm. So we have these specialized brain cells that scientists call mirror neurons mm -hmm. that's able to sense whether somebody's trying to help us or hurt us. 
So as we develop our emotional intelligence, it enables us to lower our walls. We become less resistive, judgmental, and attached to outcome. And the people around us pick up on that, um, and they they feel more relaxed. It feels like um, they can lower their walls and be more of who they truly are around us right. than they can be around other people. And that literally enables us to develop deeper, more trusted advisor relationships than our competitors. We're able to outcare our competition. Right. I love the quote. That's why I had to pull it to the front of the episode because uh, these really stood out to me quite a bit. And what that translates to me as a sales-minded person, as someone who's working with sales organizations a lot, I mean, talking about outcaring your competition and what that looks like when you operationalize it, you know, you have faster deal cycles, you have higher win rates, right? You have less people going dark on you because you've created this trusting environment where their walls are lower and they're being more forthcoming with you about the real problems that they're having, which we've talked about ag agnosium on this show, is how do we get to the root, the real root causes of change within the buyer's context, right? Like sometimes they'll tell us what we want to hear to get us off the phone. They'll give us some very superficial problem pain point that they're dealing with when it really is likely to be more, more deeper than that. And, and, and how you get there from what you're saying is through creating a more trusted business advisor type of relationship. Can I, can I give you an example? Yeah, please. <clears throat> There's a company that's currently valued at about $2.2 trillion. Only a couple of those. About, pardon? It's only a couple of those. And they're doing about $600 billion a year in revenue. And their primary hiring focus is emotional intelligence. Okay. That company is Apple. Mm-hmm. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel that is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to understand your pain and, if possible, offer a solution to your pain. Whether you buy anything or not is secondary to the desire to want to serve you. They want you to have a great experience. And maybe you'll tell your friends and they'll tell their friends. And if you think about it, that energy you feel in that environment is a very different energy from the energy coming out of the stores surrounding that environment. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of a uh, a more emotionally intelligent environment. The, because of the accelerating rate of global change, more and more companies are starting to hire, develop, and promote largely based on emotional intelligence. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But my question, though, when I hear that is that sounds harder than how you say it right like how does one do that in an interviewing process how do you is it through like written assessments is it carefully crafted Uh, interview questions how do you determine one's eq level in a pre-hire context that's a great question the um the short answer to your question is all of that but the more emotionally intelligent you are Mm the easier it is to spot it or the lack of it. If you know, others. you know, I like that. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. yeah so emotionally high, um, people high EQ recognize. Yeah. Would, they can, would, they mm-hmm. can spot emotional intelligence from across the room. Okay. So the interviewer and the hiring manager have to have a high EQ with that thought process. Yep. Okay. That's one. Okay. Yep. So is that kind of what you do when you work with organizations is to help them craft in how do you get your leadership team to be more like have a higher eq and then yep. by virtue of that they will be better yep. at hiring uh, yep. so that's using the apple context it sounds like their managers probably went through some programs and development courses and got to that point where now yeah. they're prepared um there's only one way there's only one way to develop emotional intelligence. I was going to um, ask you that. And, good. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, and you can't develop it by reading a book or having a conversation or watching a video. Or listening to a podcast. <laughs> or listening to a podcast. Um, except this one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, the development of emotional intelligence is an, is an experiential process, not an intellectual process. Um So how you develop it is, first of all, you have to develop a strong emotional connection to something you want to achieve that creates the motivation for you to move outside of your comfort zone 
to go and achieve that that desired result. And when you do that, um, it automatically triggers the release of the cortisol into your bloodstream. And you feel that fear, you feel that anxiety. But your what it is you're trying to achieve, the motivation to achieve that your desired result needs to be stronger than the fear and anxiety that's triggered when you move outside of your comfort zone. If it isn't, you may want better results than you're currently getting, but you won't be willing to do the emotional labor that getting better results requires. And quite frankly, most people aren't. So what they try and do instead is they often try and use some type of position-based power to control, manipulate others to get them to change. And that's what we've been doing for a very, very, very long time. And that's why the current level of employee engagement, according to Gallup, worldwide is about 13%. Very low. Low levels of employee engagement are costing the U.S. economy over a trillion dollars a year. And it's also why over 80% of all M&A and organizational development initiatives fail. So it's... Um, so we're talking about two things, the resistance to change and finding that motivation and having that motivation be superior to the change fear. or risk, perceived risk associated with the, the change. Fear. Fear. Okay. Yep. yep. Which is a good motivator for sure. A strong motivator. Yep. I think uh, a lot of times people, and I, and I agree hundred percent, often though I hear and see that we frame motivation in the, in the idea of a positive and outcome, you know, I want to increase my earnings so that I can buy a house, so I can get married, so I can do these things that are positive in my life. But if I'm hearing you correctly, I connect these dots and use the $500 million, the 500 million year brain example. Uh, it's like, you need to be scared to death that you're going to be eaten alive in order to really do the emotional work, which is in, in a sales context, some of the stuff that's yep. not so comfortable, the prospecting, the administrative yep. stuff, all of that, right? Yeah. So there's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to do that kind of work. There's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to leave our comfort zone in the pursuit of better results. And the first one is pain. Mm -hmm. The other one is passion. Hardly anybody's connected with their passion. Right. So for the most part, the people that are motivated to do the emotional labor that change requires are usually motivated by a by an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. So if I I want to go back to the interviewing process because I think that the, to the Apple example I want to double down on that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an end state goal that an org would want to get to in order to have yep. higher employee engagement and all that. But you have to start an interviewing practice, right? So is it find people who are scared, find people who have fear that have enough fear, enough, they're scared enough of whatever they're facing or dealing with that they'll be, they'll make good fits for our organization. Um, fear is often the motivator to do the emotional labor. What you're looking for is people that have already done that emotional labor in their lives okay. from time to time. And that's given them insights into themselves and others uh, that's a reflection of their emotional intelligence. It gives them a sense of agency. Hmm. You, so you, you're you're not looking for people. You're looking for you're looking for evidence of the emotional labor that they've been doing in their life. So something that took them out of their comfort zone, and they had to work through. Right. So that's we're getting to a situational interview question at some point. Tell me a time where you had to get outside of your comfort zone. And yep. what did you learn out of that experience and how did it impact what you did in the future? I'm just spitballing yep. with you here. I want to hear some questions. Yeah. Rattle off a couple. Not too many. We only have so much time, but our audience, okay. I think, has got their okay. notepad and their thinking caps on. So let's do okay. it. Hang on for a minute. I just have to. Very good. And while he does that, if you're listening to the show on Apple, make sure you rate us. Five stars would be appreciated. You don't have to write the full review, but if you did write a review, one sentence is enough. So it's quick, it's easy. Give us a rating. We'd appreciate it. Here we go.
emotional intelligence, hiring emotional intelligence. Questions. Why is this rule of interest to you? Okay. How will this rule help you to achieve what you want? Mm, okay. That, now, um, now we're getting into that place. Okay. Who's responsible for your results? What can you teach us? When's the last time you were embarrassed? What happened? Mm. How did you handle the situations? Uh, I, my, my version of that is, tell me about your most humbling experience, particularly with people you sense high ego in. Sure. Right? Um, How good are you at accepting help from others? Mm. How good are you at asking for help? What's one of the internal battles you have each day? Now, see, makes, some of these questions are like tied to what we're talking about with the fear and the, you know, pain that they're trying to avoid uh, and the emotional labor that they've done already. Yep. Yeah. Good. Actually, these companies are, <laughs> they're strip mining the marketplace, looking for individuals that have already done this kind of emotional labor in their life unconsciously, and they have no idea of how valuable that emotional labor they've been doing. They have no idea. Um, so what I do experience. is I actually help, mm -hmm. I, I help people develop their emotional intelligence. Uh, what a number of these companies are doing is they're actually looking for people that for whatever reason have already been doing this type of emotional labor in their life. Mm -hmm. so okay. It's hugely valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. So, I mean, it's, you use the Apple example, but then we look at the engagement rates and, you know, the overall effectiveness. I think we all can agree that um, particularly in a sales, high pressure sales environment, it's, it's really, really critical that they have a higher degree of emotional intelligence. I had another author on the show recently who wrote a book called Stress Less, Sell More, and it goes to the anxiety and mental health of the salesperson, which teeters on the emotional intelligence discussion quite a bit. I like that we have some stuff that we can take from this conversation as a sales leader to put in place to help find the right people in the interview process. But if I'm a sales, can I make a comment about sales? If yeah, you go ahead, please. Um, so I've been in sales for 40 years and taught it. And, you know, sales is not about generating revenue. I'm sure some people might argue uh, that, but tell me I'm more. I'm sure they. I'm sure <laughs> they would. Um, and I've generated my biggest sale was 400 million dollars. Took you three years. Um, mm -hmm. The um, sales is about being of service. The result of service can be revenue, but it is never the focus. Because if your focus walking through the door is, hey, I need to generate revenue, you have revenue, what do I need to do to generate your revenue, generate that revenue, your energy level how you come across is going to be very different than if your focus is on providing service, trying to understand the customer's pain. See, if somebody wants to, and this gets to out carrying the competition, if somebody wants to, if they trust you, they'll find a way to do business with you, mm -hmm. even if you don't have the best pricing or the best technology. If they don't trust you, they'll find a way not to do business with you, even if you have the best pricing and the best technology. <clears throat> so it's all about relationship. Um, if Apple wanted to get into banking and they don't know anything about banking, they'd have 10 million depositors overnight. That's the level of trust. Well, they are in banking, by the way. <laughs> Okay. I have an Apple credit card. <laughs> Cars or something. Yeah. The, the point is that people know that, you know, if they don't know, if they don't, for instance, banking, if they get into banking, I trust that they'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So, and the other thing about sales is that purchasing decisions are always emotional decisions. We always... 
we always make purchasing decisions emotionally. And then after we've decided emotionally what we're going to do, we look for features and benefits intellectually to justify the decision we've already made emotionally. So again, it gets back to emotional intelligence. So if I'm a salesperson and I hear this, how can I get my energy physics in a place where I can have more uh, open conversations with buyers that trust me? Uh, And this gets into the energy physics part of this, which is at the core. Um, You need to stop giving away your energy. See, we're only actually conscious about three to 5% of the time. The rest of the time we're relying on our habits to determine our behavior and our results. Um, And that's fine. But when we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. And a lot of the initial habits we develop um, cause us to give away our energy. And we do it in lots of different ways. How we can, I'll give you an example shortly, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. But when we're giving away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. So at the same time, we're giving away our energy over here. We have to be trying to replace that energy by trying to steal energy from other people over here. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, all the time. Um, And that causes our walls to go up and we become resistant, judgmental, and attached outcome. And that's what gets in the way of generating better results. Um, Because if our walls go up, it triggers the other person's walls to go up, which is exactly what we don't want to happen. Conversely, if we know how to lower our walls, the other person has to lower their walls. They need our energy to keep their walls up. So if you want to develop deeper and more trusted advisor relationships, you have to learn to stop giving away your energy. So let me give you an example. This is actually the second MBL habit called authentic listening. And the key to authentic listening is to not take anything personally. Um, How somebody feels about you, whether they like you or whether they don't, has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what's going on inside of them. But if how you feel about yourself is based on how somebody else feels about you, who's running your life, you or them? Well, it's them, right? Right. If you I like think most me, salespeople I'll... are wired that way, though, to be quite honest. I think a lot of us care more about our representative, our ego, our alter ego, if you will, and the way we're perceived in the world by clients, even though we may not see that clearly. That's what we care most about. And we kind of shrink yep. the personal side. So the results they're getting are a fraction of the results they could be getting by developing their emotional intelligence. It's physics, it's energy physics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But for those like myself who have no idea what physics and and how energy physics work or, yeah. Let me give you an example. Um, People bend over backwards on social media to get other people to like them so they can feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're unconsciously giving away their energy to strangers to determine how they should feel about themselves. If you like me, I like me. If you don't like me, I don't like me. So at the same time, they're unconsciously giving away their energy. They're trying to steal energy from other people to replace the energy that they're unconsciously giving away. And that could happen with coworkers or family members or customers or the guy in the grocery store, doesn't matter. So it's a massive and accelerating problem. It's not getting better, it's getting worse with the accelerating rate of global change. When, just so I'm clear, when you say giving away their energy, does that translate to caring about what people think about them more than how they think about themselves? Is that a simple way of what you're saying about you say give away energy? They're being controlled by their ego-based fear. Mm. They need people to like them so they can like themselves. Well, on the social media side, and I, I, in theory, agree, 
there's a practice in social media with thought leaders and influencers like yourself who are trying to be an authority in their in their space, right? And be perceived that way. I mean, it's part of our duties as entrepreneurs and sales and marketing people who are all, everybody is effectively these days. So there's a part of it where it's effectively part of the job, not necessarily part of like, do people like me now? If I'm posting selfies and I'm like, aren't I pretty? And I'm trying to do these things that are impressing people so that they like me, I'm with you hundred percent. But if I see someone like yourself or me who's putting content out there that's trying to educate the masses on and giving away value, that necessarily, I mean, could that could that be perceived as the same thing about giving away the energy? Is that is that the same? Because I don't want to make it seem like yeah. posting well, no, on social media not, all versions are the same. You're, you're providing information. You're yeah. trying to you're trying to be of service. Okay. You're trying to raise the level of consciousness. But that's I still face thing. it. I'm not going to lie. I post something on there that's educational and it doesn't get a lot of engagement. I kind of feel like I suck. <laughs> that's, I'll be honest. Well, but okay, but that's your ego. Yep. The, mm -hmm. the reality is that it's sure. just information. It's data. If you didn't get the amount of uh, the feedback that you wanted, it's giving you an indication to maybe try something else. True. It's not, see, when we... When we allow our ego to control us, when we allow our ego-based fear to control us, we become resistant, judgmental, and attached to outcome. As we learn to distance ourselves from our egos by developing our emotional intelligence, we become less resistant, less judgmental, less attached to outcome. So you put it out there. If somebody likes it, that's great. If they don't like it, that's unfortunate. But either way, it's not going to affect how you feel about yourself. It shouldn't. If you like me, great, because I like me. If you don't like me, that's unfortunate because I like me. Okay. So so how I feel about myself isn't dependent on how somebody else feels about me. Fair enough. Um, the energy physics, if I want to do better about that, and I know we have to be go through experiences. So if I'm in experiences today, tomorrow, this week, and so forth, after listening to the show, what I keep coming back to in my mind is uh, being vulnerable and being humble in our engagements with internal and external customers, right? Yep. Whether it's a peer on your team, your manager, or if it's a prospect customer you've had for 10 years, being vulnerable and being humble create a space for you to be genuine and uh, by virtue of that, them lowering their walls is, are those two things that I could do today to be yep. better at my emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yep. Vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a strength. Agreed. When you're vulnerable, that's when you're least vulnerable. When you appear to be invulnerable, that's when you're most vulnerable. When you, when your walls are up, that's when you appear to be, most invulnerable but the reality is that's when you're most vulnerable when your walls are down that's when you appear to be vulnerable but the reality is that that's when you're least vulnerable because you're not relying on other people's energy because you're not giving away your own right i love that you are full of zingers uh i have to say like these i'm going to definitely be going back to this episode and capturing some of these for clips because these are phenomenal quotes that i think really are transformative while simple in text when you hit the what it means button it really exposes a lot so uh That's, i appreciate um, that you, you know derek you make up you make a good point <laughs> um you can only truly appreciate the value and importance of this process of the process of developing emotional intelligence by doing it and that's the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something experientially. You really can't fully appreciate the incredible power unless you're actually doing the work. The emotional labor that you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, and it's one of those things where it's, it's, I'm glad you put the word labor in there because it's something you've got to work at. Um, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's much more difficult. Emotional labor is much more difficult than intellectual labor or physical labor. 
Um, it's like Navy SEAL training for your emotions. As a matter of fact, a lot of Navy SEAL training is having people move outside of their comfort zone a lot and be able to feel, acknowledge, and move through the fear that that generates in them while maintaining, while being in the present moment. So that's the that's the key to everything. Okay. There is no um the only way you can you can develop your emotional intelligence is by doing that kind of emotional labor. There's and no shortcut. say that now we're talking about being more vulnerable, being yeah, and, and doing these things, being humble and these are some tactical things when yeah, it's those, emotional those, labor. So, yeah. So the bottom line the, the fortune cookie summary of this is that when you lower your walls, you stop giving away your energy. Everything gets better. When you raise your walls, that's when everything gets worse. So about things getting worse, since you segue there, there's another quote. You said it earlier, and you said it in our planning that I want to see if you can double-click on for me. Sure. Um, you had said, if they're unwilling to change themselves, is often when they try to use some type of position-based power to get others to change, to control, and to manipulate others. Yep. So double-click on that. If I, I'm not willing to do the emotional labor, uh, so I need to change my surroundings instead of changing myself. I mean, this is deep stuff, right? Start with the man in the mirror if you want to label a song to it, right? But uh, when I'm not starting with the man in the mirror, I'm starting with everybody else. What does that look like? Double click on that quote for me if you can. It looks like toxicity. Mm. It looks like low levels of employee engagement. It looks like a lack of trust and engagement. It looks like the world we live in. Ooh. Fair. That it was looks like the world. You've got to be brain dead to think that whatever we've been doing is working. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. So uh, conspiracy theory this for me for 30 seconds. Assuming we don't course correct and yep. our brain doesn't catch up, yep. let's fast forward to 2050. What does the world look like? Drama, chaos, conflict. Wars. Yep. Dictatorships. Yep. Wow. So worst case scenarios. No, the worst case scenario happens 50 years later. Well, yeah, none of us are here, effectively, I guess. Extinction. Yeah. We're at a tipping point as a species on the planet. There isn't a single other species on the planet that wouldn't be better off if humanity didn't exist. We're single-handedly destroying the, destroying the planet. We're the virus on the planet. And if we don't change our trajectory dramatically in the next 10 to 15 years, I don't think we have a shot. I won't be here. But we're leaving a dead cat on the doorstep of future generations. We are totally, completely, 100% unprepared for the tsunami of change we're facing. Generating, generating revenue is easy. Career advancement is easy. <clears throat> but there's a whole other bigger thing going on here. Um, Outside of the bubble. You're in the bubble, heads down, focused on revenue generation in your career while everything around you is getting worse and worse, as you're saying. There's um, Mark Twain a long time ago um, once said, he says, if the only way mankind can learn is to experience, I see no hope for mankind. Meaning, if the only way we can learn to not put our hand on the stove is by putting our hand on the stove, that assumes we're going to be around for a do-over. And a lot of the things we're dealing with, things like CRISPR-Cas9, gene editing technology, AI, climate change, other pandemics, we may not get a do-over. we got to get it right before we put our hand on the stove. And we've shown little or no ability to be able to do that. But at a minimum, if we've got any shot at all, we have to be developing our emotional intelligence. Well, I'm glad you, you, you touched on something. I'm always looking for the segues. And you mentioned artificial intelligence. We talked about intellectual intelligence. We've talked about artif um, I'm sorry, uh, emotional intelligence. And with that backdrop you just gave, connect that with artificial intelligence. Where does this put us? Do, are you on the uh, in the camp of we need to decelerate our, our rate of adoption? Or are you in the camp that 
you know, this is good for business, good for the world. Where do you stand in, in, in that change dynamic? AI is a great tool to eliminate things off our plate that detract from our from ourselves as individuals and as groups. Um, but it's simply a tool. It can eliminate a lot of mundane functions like accounting or, you know, going to see a lawyer or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tasks that it can, it can can eliminate, but it doesn't have morals. It doesn't have emotions. It's not. You you don't think we can fake that. You don't think AI can get to a point where emotional intelligence can be coded in. Emotional intelligence has to do with energy physics and consciousness. Which robots and computers just don't have. Correct. They're, they're tools, and they're, gr- they're great tools, and they're going to get better. They're going to get much better. But really, they can, we can use them to help free us up to be more, have more availability to reconnect with ourselves as individuals and each other. Like we can use we can use them as a tool to help raise our level of consciousness about what's going on in us and around us, and that's the real benefit. You know, when you started talking about um, end of days and where we are, are around us, I only assumed that when you brought the AI angle, that that's the dots that were going to get connected. You went another direction. I'm actually surprised, and I'm up. up appreciative that it went in a positive spin. I kind of thought it was going to go to, well, when you combine lack of EQ uh, globally and global uh, expansion and these things that are happening, you put an AI in the front of it. And if a, if if we're the disease, wouldn't that be the natural assumption that AI and its superiority uh, that we all, all worry about uh, within no, CSS? We're, we're, we're the disease and the cure. We're both. Well put. Thank you. We have to. The disease is simply we're totally controlled by our fear, by our ego based fear. We get bombarded with fear messaging constantly, daily from everywhere. And that simply serves to make sure that we never leave the the perceived security of our comfort zone. And that is a huge mistake. That's a huge error. Hmm. Um, we have to leave our comfort zone to evolve. We have to go through, we have to do the emotional labor of moving through the fear and anxiety that changing innovation triggers in us so that we can become more conscious and we can learn to distance ourselves from our ego-based fear. And that is freedom. Freedom from ego-based fear. Freedom it's agency. It's the ability to reconnect with ourselves and each other without resistance, judgment, or attachment outcome. And that's really the purpose of our existence. Hmm. Well, I told you at the start of the show, everyone that's listening and watching, that you better have your thinking cap on because this one's going to get heavy. And it just hit its apex, I think. Um I want to transition with you real quick, if I can, Phil. I'm going to rattle off a quote, like I've been doing, right, and see where you go with that, and then uh, I'll ask my final question, okay? Uh, So here's the quote. People can't keep up with the rate of change, so they're relying more and more on their network of trusted advisors to make decisions. I think this this quote corresponds with some of the things that we've been talking about. Where do you go with that quote? Double double There's something called the because of that, because we can't keep up with the rate of accelerating change, we're relying more and more on our network of trusted advisors. There's something called the trust economy that's currently growing much faster than the than the traditional economy. It's currently valued at about $10 trillion a year. And to put that into perspective, if the trust economy were a country, it would be the third largest economy in the world behind the U.S. and China. So 
Your network of trusted advisors as an individual or as an organization is the greatest asset you have. And your ability to demonstrate trustability is directly related to your emotional intelligence. Right. It's directly related to your ability to lower your walls so you become less resistive, less judgmental, less attached to outcome. That's huge. I mean, right. that's really the... Uh, Couldn't that also be a way that someone could work on their emotional intelligence is being around people, you know, your your trusted advisors that have high degrees of emotional intelligence yeah, and done that absolutely. labor? But here, absolutely. If you're, it's, yeah, the, being around people that have their walls down automatically enables you to lower your walls. But the challenge is, what do you do when you're not around people with their walls down? Your walls shoot right test. back up because you don't know how to, you don't know how to keep them down. And keeping your so, walls down around people who have their walls up effectively. In another way of saying it, someone who has a high degree of EQ who's operating at that level around people who have low degrees of EQ and are immature and toxic, like you were mentioning, then you're opening yourself up to being hurt and being taken advantage of. No, you're not. Of, no? You're okay. actually viewed as a an inspirational leader. So you have to leave the herd in order to lead the herd mm. in a better direction. When people raise their... Victims, what I call victims, travel in packs. Uh, they have a codependent relationship with each other, mm -hmm. but they don't like each other. They don't trust each other, and they can never lower their walls around each other, but they need each other. But as you learn to lower your walls, these mirror, these mirror neurons kick in, and people get a sense that they can lower their walls and be more of the, who they truly are around you than they can be around their victim buddies. And that's what creates inspiration. inspiration leadership. Wow. That, I mean, we should end the interview right there for any sales revenue marketing leader that's listening to this. It's not about getting rid of the people and being away from people who don't have high EQ. Think of it as an opportunity to inspire and help them raise their level and be a true leader effectively. See, here, here's the thing. The only time people really need us the only time they're motivated to change is when they're in pain. Hmm. So instead of running away from those folks, you should run towards them because those are the golden opportunities to demonstrate how much you care about them. Those are the golden opportunities to develop deep, trusted advisor relationships and to do emotional labor work right it's easy to be positive and everybody is positive but if right. you're around people who are struggling and you're the person who's got that eq level then this is a time to an opportunity to deploy that practice it i mean this isn't just in work right? this is life this is in marriages this is in brother and sister relationships this is everywhere my uh My wife's had a, a, a couple of different types of cancer, and one caused her to stay in the hospital for over a month. And I was there from 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, seven Good days a week. Good for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an opportunity for me to demonstrate to her how much I loved her, how much I love her. It was a it was a it was a way for me to demonstrate to her that she's not alone and that I'm 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 there with her every step of the way. Um those opportunities are rare and but they're really the opportunities that separate the truly emotionally intelligent leaders among us from everybody else. So what looks so like an obstacle it, is actually an opportunity. Pardon? So what looks like an obstacle could actually be your opportunity, your golden Absolutely. opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. See, by, by developing your emotional intelligence, it enables you to take the challenges you face. It's able, it's able to, for you to look at the challenges as opportunities for better results. When your walls are up, 
you simply look at the challenges as problems. Right. And you often miss the opportunity. How do I avoid that challenge? How do I keep it at arm's length outside of my walls effectively? Yep. Mm -hmm. You run away from it instead of running towards it. Okay. Yeah, there's a book that comes to mind. I forget the author's name. The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, sitting back here in the library, I should know the author's name. But it kind of sounds like that. But it goes back to your point of even if you read that book, and it's a great book, it doesn't mean you're doing the labor. That just means you're informing your intelligence, not actually working on emotional, developing an emotional intelligence. With only yeah, and a lot of work. folks, uh, do you know my backstory? Uh, I, I know some of it. I'm sure I don't know all of it, but uh, yeah, I did some some research. Okay, so uh, I was born with dyslexia. Um, there was something else. Anyways, it caused me to do a lot of uh, what I now refer to as emotional labor that enables me to do what I do today. Um, shoot, there was something else I was going to say. I forget. It happens to me all the time. I, sometimes I even have to edit out. <laughs> yeah. Lost my train of thought. Yep. Anyways. Well, I'll ask you my last question. I'm sure, sure. if you stop thinking about that, that's how it comes back, right? Um, so instead of asking you the question, I'm going to I'm going to read a quote like I've been doing. It's a testimonial of yours. And then I want you to explain a little bit further and talk about the programs that you offer and work with your clients on. So here's the quote. His refreshing take on leadership avoids all the cookie cutter methods and rather begins with you at the center. His program brings out the most authentic self and then translates it into your unique leadership values. I thought this was a great layup for you to talk a little bit more about what you do for your clients. Can you in two minutes or less, kind of give us the breakdown? Yeah, I um, I help people succeed in their career, in their personal life, and in their, in their corporations. It's, uh, it's an amazing, huh, it's an amazing process. And I'm honored to work with the people I work with to help them reconnect with who they truly are and serve others. So it's, um, it's interesting. I, uh, as people are going through the program and they start to become more conscious about what's going on in, in them and around them, they really start to see how amazing this journey is. And they go, Holy smokes. Um, this is incredible. No, I, I mean, I just say, yeah, preparing I for this interview alone it definitely got me thinking about things in my own life and my business and how I can evolve and the labor that I might be able to do. So I know just through that exercise, it's been impactful. So I could imagine going through a program that you have could be transformative. How long is your program? How long have you been running the program? Um, running the program for 22 years, wow. uh, it's 13 weeks initially, although uh, some executives I've been working with for close to 14 years. Because and the categorically, ROI that's what you would call it, executive coaching effectively, if we think about the bucket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, I'm an executive coach. Okay. Um, and I've been an executive coach working with executives and organizations all over the world for the past 22 years. Germany, um, Bosnia, Africa, Australia, Europe, Canada, of course, Serbia. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're everywhere. Saudi yeah. Arabia. Yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, it's no different anywhere. Um, That's interesting. So, That's a whole other so episode, this, actually. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that would be a whole other episode is that it's, it, yeah, you go around the it's, world. It's, it's, very it's, it's, it's exactly the same everywhere mm -hmm. in the world. Uh, we're being driven by our ego-based fears. And it's energy physics. Um, so I would encourage strongly everybody to develop their emotional intelligence. The ROI is massive. I mean, there was a 40-year study done at UC Berkeley comparing IQ with EQ, and they determined um, that emotional intelligence was 400% more valuable in determining success in intellectual intelligence. And I actually think it's low, but um, can I just kind of leave you with a numeric example? Yes, please. That's a great, best way to do it. Let's justify it with logic. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, think of uh, IQ as somebody giving you $10,000 a day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. Now think of the development of your emotional intelligence as a penny that doubles in value. So day one, you've got a penny. The compound. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. Day 40, you've got over $5 billion. Day 50, you've got over $5 trillion. So whereas not everybody, see if your ability to do intellectual labor is genetic. If you have a high IQ, your parents had a high IQ, their parents had a high IQ, and you simply inherited those genes. So whereas not everybody can have 160 IQ, anybody, everybody can develop their emotional intelligence, and the ROI is massive. It's massively greater than intellectual intelligence. And it's a part of our development that's missing. Our educational system has failed us and our employment system has failed us because it's focused almost exclusively well, on our ability to do that's intellectual labor mm -hmm. and it's done little or nothing to develop our emotional intelligence. Right. We don't need emotionally high people with high EQ to do this, you know, this task oriented, you know, job, right? We need, so why would we teach them that, right? I think they're connected, honestly, if we're to continue well, to conspiracy Well, if you want to get theory. into conspiracy theories, you want a conspiracy theory? Hit me. It's a hell of a lot easier to control people using their ego-based fear if you develop, if people had a high, if people were developing their emotional intelligence, you couldn't control them. They would have agency. They would have freedom from ego-based fear. So when you think about social media and the internet and many things that we see today around us. If you ask now, we only have five left. If you had a bigger house or a better car, people would love you. If you made more money, people would love you. Exactly. If you were taller, people would love yeah. you. Yeah. Ego-based fear. There you go. Well, uh, I think that's something to end the episode thinking about. Where should we send people if they want to find you, find your program, learn more? Best best place. Uh, I put a bunch of stuff in your chat box. You can yeah. share if you like. I'll put that in the um, comments. They can find me on LinkedIn. And I also sent you a link to my calendar um, if anybody wants to get together and continue the conversation. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.